good morning. Good to see you this morning. My name is Josh, and uh, one of the pastors here, if you don't know me, really glad that you can be with us today. Um, you know, in the fall of, uh, of 1989, the Dallas Cowboys are struggling, to say the least. Any Cowboys fans? I'm, oh boy, here we go. The Cowboys were struggling, to say the least, so head coach at the time, Jimmy Johnson, he, he pushed, he was also the GM, he pushed to make a gamble uh, with the only real bargaining chip that they had. Their very best player, their star running back, a guy by the name of Herschel Walker, you can see him there. Uh, what would ensue is still, to this day, the largest trade in NFL history, and by a result of what happened, lives in infamy as maybe well, I'll just leave it at that for now. At the time, it seemed crazy that arguably the worst team in the NFL would trade away their best player. But that's exactly what they did. Uh, they traded Herschel Walker to the Minnesota Vikings on October 12th, 1989. And um, believing that their team in 89-90 that season, that they were only a running back away from making it to the Super Bowl, their, their GM, Mike Lynn, acquired Walker, the former Heisman Trophy winner, to come play for the Vikings from the Cowboys. And at first, uh, Minnesota seemed to be the clear winner in the trade. I mean, especially immediately afterwards. Walker had a huge coming out party in his first game with the Vikings. He ran for over 148 yards in just 18 carries versus the dreaded Green Bay Packers. That was a joke, but they're dreaded. <laughs> Including 98 yards the first two times he touched the ball. Now, if you don't know anything about football, just know that's really, really good and pretty amazing. Uh, Vikings fans were in heaven thinking their team would finally make it to the Super Bowl. But then the rest of the, se the, rest of the season happened and the history would write an entirely different story. The Vikings were eliminated from the playoffs that year and they wouldn't make a Super Bowl with Walker or really anyone else in the lineup for that matter. Today in Minnesota, it's still an open wound. My brothers all live up in Minnesota and it's considered universally to be the worst trade in NFL history. Uh, see, while the Vikings got Herschel, here's what they gave up. They gave up uh, two starting linebackers, uh, Jesse Solomon, David Howard, a cornerback, Isaac Holt, defensive end, Alex Stewart, running back, Darren Nelson. But along with that, they, would, they also gave up what would become the foundation for Dallas's future. Listen to this. They gave up, in 1990, a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and a sixth-round pick. In 1991, a first-round pick and a second-round pick. In 1992, a first round pick, a second round pick, and a third round pick, all to the Cowboys. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, the, the GM and head coach for the, or the, the Cowboys at the time, told reporters after that deal with Herschel Walker, said he had just committed the great train robbery and time would prove him right. Because with their draft picks they acquired, uh, that they got from Herschel Walker, they acquired Emmett Smith, Darren Woodson, you might know some of these names, Russell Maryland, and then they would go on in 92, 93, and 95 to win the Super Bowl. It was, it was an incredible trade for the Cowboys, but man, it, it just pretty much mortgaged off the Vikings for the next decade plus. And I'm a little bit of a Vikings fan, in case you wondered. Now, 
The thing is, though, you might think that's the, and it still is considered by many the worst trade in NFL history, but do you know it's not the worst trade, or at least the most profound and seemingly foolish trade in the history of the world? That trade shows up right here in God's word. And we're gonna look at it today, uh, John chapter one. We're gonna be in John chapter one. Uh, But before we get there, let me pray, and then uh, we'll get into the text. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for... uh, your grace to us, your goodness, your kindness, and just your incredible love for us, Lord, to know that we're loved more than we could ever dream. And um, I pray you'd help us to realize that today and to see that, to experience it for those of us who just even need very tangibly to feel it and know it to be true. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd help me as I teach your word, the words you've written. Help all of us to understand them and apply them to our lives so we can be more like Jesus and have more joy. And that we pray all this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, if you got your Bible, turn to John chapter chapter one, verse nine. And uh, I'm actually gonna even start reading in the very beginning of, of John chapter one. Because, you know, in the account of Christmas, that's really what John's telling us here in John chapter one, that original Christmas, he goes all the way back to the very beginning to tell us about it. And here's what he writes. In the beginning was the word. And, and if you don't know, John's talking about Jesus here when he says the word, because he's the fulfillment of all of God's words, all of God's promises. And the word was with God, And the word was God. He's telling us, we looked at it last Sunday, that Jesus is God. He's eternal. And in the beginning, verse two, he was with God. He was there as part of the Trinity. All things, not only that, but all things were made through him. And without him, without Jesus, was not anything made that was made. He created all things. And in him... That creation, you know, God brings life into his creation. Well, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We talked about all these things last Sunday. You can go back and check it out online if you missed it. But John keeps going as he describes Jesus' first coming. He says, "Uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is kind of a little parenthetical statement. And the John he's talking about here is not the John who wrote this and that the book's named after, but this is John the baptizer. And uh, John was sent by God ahead of time to prepare people for Jesus' coming. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, about Jesus, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So he's just, he's making that clear for his readers. Hey, John is not who I'm talking about. He was just pointing ahead to the light that I'm talking about because the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And that's what happens at Christmas. Jesus, God, puts on flesh and comes into the world, into his creation. He becomes human. And, and just like uh, Jimmy Johnson went to Mike Lynn with an offer, you know, Jesus comes to us with an offer. That's exactly what he does. And he comes to everyone with that offer. Look back at verse nine with me. The true light, which gives light to everyone. He, he was coming into the world. And he was making an offer to everyone, including you and I. 
He's making an offer to all of us. Well, um, something to note here, he gives light to everyone. You know, uh, the only way we really even know who God is or know anything about him is because he reveals himself to us. He reveals himself to us in a number of ways through just his creation. And so we look at the stars in the heavens and we go, I mean, there's no way that's just random chance. <laughs> like someone created that. He reveals himself to us uh, through his word in specific ways of who he is. And uh, his revelation then you could characterize in, in really kind of two categories of what I would call his grace, things that we don't deserve to know, don't deserve to have. First is God's, uh, what I call generic grace. Now, I told everybody in the first service, like I've never read the term generic grace in any theological textbook. So there's probably guys who are a lot smarter with me with more degrees than Fahrenheit who would uh, tell me that uh, that's a bad term. But what it's referring to, and maybe you've heard of some of these other terms of, of God's general grace or his common grace. And what, I'm, what it means is that there's certain amounts of God's grace and of his revealing of himself that, that comes to everyone, no matter who you are. You know, this week, did you notice this week was a little dreary? It just really was, wasn't it? But then yesterday, what happened? The sun came out. And who got to see the sun? Anyone who went outside or just opened their window. That was God's grace, his generic grace to everyone. It was goodness given to all people. See, uh, the psalmist writes this in Psalm 145, that uh, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he's made. Uh, Jesus says it like this. He says, um, he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. It's kind of everyone. I mean, if you think around northern Indiana yesterday, right, there's some people who, were, who we might categorize as good people. Some we might categorize as eh, they're a little sketchy and maybe even evil people. Some who, who do good, some who do evil. Some who are wealthy, some who are poor, some who know Jesus, some who don't. And God caused the sun to rise on who? Everyone. Yeah, everyone, all of them. And so that's God's common, do you see? Generic grace, making you think a little bit theologically with me this morning. Well, uh, there's a second category of God's grace, not just his generic, general, common grace, but what I would call his specific grace. His specific grace, like there's, there's more to it than just a general sense, a generic sense that God exists, that God is good, but a specific sense of who he is. A specific sense. And uh, some theologians would call this special grace. Maybe you've heard of that. Or even more specific is saving grace. That we could be saved and made right with him. You know, uh, the copy of God's word you have in front of him is part of his specific, special, saving grace to you. Because it reveals more specifically who God is and what he's done. And in light of our conversation this morning, the offer that Jesus came to make. Uh, 
John chapter three, for God so loved the world, you might know this verse, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, I'll give, you, give it away at the beginning here. That's the offer. <laughs> he makes this offer and, and the way you sign your name on the line is to believe. Whoever would believe wouldn't perish. There's if you don't receive the offer but have eternal life if you do receive the offer. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So often we tend to think of God as being, you know, looking down and in, in judgment and, and he just, he hates people and he hates all these things and he's, he must be angry with me too. Do you ever feel that? But the reality is, no, scripture tells us God loved the world so much that he came, that he gave his son that whoever would believe would have eternal life. For God didn't send his son to condemn it, to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, that they might receive his offer. That's Christmas. Well, um, Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, says, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. A remnant meaning those who would believe, those who would follow him, those who would accept that offer. Grace meaning getting what I don't deserve and what I have nothing to do with. See, and if it's not by grace, he says, it's no longer on the basis of works. Or if, excuse me, if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. See, when we talk about God's generic, general, common grace and his specific, special, saving grace, Grace is when I receive what I don't deserve and what I did nothing to earn and which I have no merit in, but it's given to me. I mean, think about even his common grace, his generic grace, right? How many of you caused the sun to rise yesterday? A rooster somewhere might think he did, but who really did? God did, and it was just given to us. Well, in the same way, his saving grace is nothing you can earn. It's just an offer that's given to you. And that offer, when the true light came into the world, giving light to everyone, that offer was to make a trade. It was to make a trade. And if you thought that the Vikings were foolish in the trade they accepted, man, you should look at this trade from the perspective of God and what he accepts. Here's the first part of the trade. He would take our sin. Jesus says, here's the trade I'm offering. I'll take your sin. I'll take your brokenness. I'll take your sorrow. I'll take your grief. I'll take all the things you've done. I'll take all the things you've done that no one knows about. I'll take all the things that have been done to you. I'll take all of it. That's what I want for Christmas. And he says, if you wrap all of that up, give it to me. You don't have to wrap it, just give it to me. I'll take it. That's part one of the trade. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to stuff it. You just give it to him. Here's what happens when he takes it. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, for our sake, for you and I, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, is in context, that's who he's talking about, made him to be sin who knew no sin. See, uh, 
Jesus came, he puts on flesh, becomes human, and he lives the life that every one of us fail to live, but that we're commanded to live. See, God said in his word, uh, be holy because why? Because I'm holy. Holy means separate, different, without sin. In a word, perfect. God's like, uh, you want to follow me? Okay, be perfect because I'm perfect. That's the standard. And every one of us go, yeah, I guess that's not going to happen, is it? But the good news is, is that in that offer Jesus makes, perfect is a gift. It's a gift. See, he who knew no sin became sin on the cross. He takes all of that junk we wrap up and give to him, and he takes it, and then he takes not just it away, but he takes the the consequence of it for us. And he dies on the cross in our place, suffering God's wrath. And Isaiah 53, written hundreds of years prior to Jesus' arrival as a little baby, tells us how it all was going to go down. If you got your Bible, turn with me all the way back to Isaiah, uh, chapter 53, um, on your device or on your print Bible, whatever it is. If you get halfway through your Bible, uh, you find the Psalms, turn right. Go right a little ways. You'll find Isaiah. Here's what we read. He, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, in one sense, God's been revealed to all people, his generic general grace and revelation, right? In another sense, the specificity of who Jesus is, his specific grace to us, uh, has been offered, but not everyone's accepted it. Here's some of that specific grace. This is all speaking of Jesus. Hundreds of years, almost a thousand years before he was born. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Now, uh, that's what's so profound about Christmas, is that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, puts on flesh, comes into the world, and he comes in a way in total humility that everybody goes, who are you? If you were God, how would you show up? Like I asked that question last Sunday. Hey, you'd probably show up with, not with no majesty, but with all kinds of majesty, not with no beauty, but with all kinds of beauty, so that everybody would recognize. But Jesus comes in humility because he was coming with an offer to take and rescue us from all of our junk. And then here's how he does it. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Uh, we, we didn't look at him and think, uh, that's God, or that's amazing. We, we looked at him and said, um, man, what did he do? Well, let's look at verse four. Surely he's borne actually our griefs not his own. He's carried our sorrows. He, he was acquainted with sorrow. He, he knows what sorrow is like. For those of you looking to come on 
the night of Blue Christmas, or maybe you have a friend you could bring along. It's just an opportunity to come and sit and be acquainted with a man of sorrows who, who knows what it's like to have sorrow and pain and can love you and help you through it. See, he bore our griefs, but we esteemed him stricken. Like we read in Corinthians, he became sin who knew no sin. But everybody who looked at him on the cross thought, oh man, he must have really done something bad. Clearly, he's, that's why this is happening. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but never recognizing it was for us. See, but he was pierced, not for his transgressions, but for ours. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. Now, here's where you start to see the part of the offer, that trade. The chastisement that brought us peace. His wounds with them were healed. Yet all of us have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In other words, Isaiah is telling us, this guy's coming and he's going to suffer in your place and in mine. And when he's going to, and he's going to suffer unjustly and he's just going to take it. He's not going to say a word. In fact, uh, the, some of the few things we hear from Jesus written in scripture, you know, as he's being hung on the crosses, one of those is father, forgive them because <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, in other words, people alive when he would walk the earth, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, or, or excuse me, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, who, who really thought that he was dying for them? When he predicts how he would... Uh, would die and be buried. They made a grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. And although he had done no violence, all of this, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet, verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He's put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, there's an offer. It's an offer to us, it's an offer to God. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. See, the offer is, Jesus says, if you give me all of your junk, all of your sin, everything we read about here happening in Isaiah 53, which happened hundreds of years after Isaiah, a couple thousand years ago for us, was he would take all of our sin and and suffer for it in our place on the cross. That's the offer. And what's amazing is as he's making that offering, as he's suffering on the cross, 
he shall see his offspring. Do you know what that means? That means Jesus, when he suffers and he willingly takes all of this, do you know who he sees? That moment? Anyone who's received the offer. If that's you, I believe this text is saying he saw you on the cross. He knew you. He saw me. And he did it for us in our place. That was his first offer. I'll take your sin. I'll deal with it so that you don't have to. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. But here's here's the other side of the trade. He gets our sin, he gets the punishment we deserve, and we get his life. Remember, God's standard is perfection, but perfect is a gift. And it's given to us in Christ. We would get his life. See, uh, we're justified by his grace as a gift, Romans 3.24, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And, And he does it not because of any good works done by us, like thinking like somehow, if I do enough good works, then Jesus would make that trade with me. No, part of the trade is you can't do anything. I'm doing it all. You just have to believe. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. That's what John's talking about here. If we go back to John chapter one, the true light, which gives light to everyone. He was coming into the world. He was in the world. And even though the world was made through him, the world didn't know him. And so he came to his own. But his own people did not receive him. He came with an offer to, to the Jewish people in the text here, but, but they rejected it. They refused it. They're like, ah, I don't want to make that trade. I'm not taking that offer. And many people still today refuse that offer. But to all who did receive him and all who do receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then John reminds us, it's not any of our works who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He does it. It's grace. Uh, See, uh, when the cowboys and the Vikings made their trade, they finalized it by signing on the dotted line. The way you make this trade with Jesus is laid out right here. You believe in his name. It's a simple act of faith. A simple act of faith. And and see, he made an offer. He came with an offer to make a trade, and that trade's not too late to accept. If you're breathing and you can hear my voice, it's not too late to accept that trade. However, it does come with a deadline like literally a dead line. (laughs) Like throughout your lifetime, you have the opportunity to accept that offer, but there's coming a day where you won't, either at the end of your life or when Jesus returns. 
And either one could happen in an instant. See, the true light, which gives light to everyone, he he was coming into the world and he was in the world and, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. But this offer was made to everyone. And as I mentioned, it's, it can be received by believing, received by faith. Let's just review again here. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own didn't receive him. Maybe he's come to you and maybe even you're hearing this. Eh, I don't know. I'm telling you, it's an offer. It's on the table for you. All you have to do is receive it. It'd be the greatest offer you'd ever receive because those who do, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Not of blood, not because of the family you were born into, not uh, because of the will of the flesh, like you did enough good things to become one of his children and not just by sheer will of man, but of God. He does it. It's a gift. And it's a trade he offers you. Uh, Jesus told one religious guy named Nicodemus, he told Nick, he said, truly Nick, I'm telling you, uh, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So when you trust him, uh, the Bible describes it and Jesus compares it to being made brand new, a brand new life, like you're, you're born again. See, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, but whoever believes in him, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There's the offer. And again, here's how you accept it. Whoever, Jesus says, do you know whoever includes? Includes whoever. Like no, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're from, no matter the color of your skin, no matter anything, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what you struggle with, whoever believes in him isn't condemned. But whoever doesn't believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. Friends, that's, uh, that's the offer that's on the table for you. And uh, Jesus came when he comes at that very first Christmas, he came with an offer and that offer was to make a trade. He said, I'll take all your junk, I'll take all your sin, I'll take it all, just, just give it to me. Just let me have it. And I'll give you my perfection, I'll give you my righteousness, I'll give you life and you receive it by faith. Let me encourage you, if you've never made that choice, sign your name on the line and believe. Let me pray.